these stories in the book of Genesis are teeming with wisdom and insight, uh, provided that we know and understand them uh, properly. They teach us why the world is the way it is. Uh, in this particular section of the story, we're forced to confront a reality that humanity is fallen, that we're broken. We're forced to confront how this plays out even in our own day. Just prior to the verses that we heard in the first reading, we see how the serpent manipulates Adam and Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. Specifically, he convinced them to believe lies. Eve told the serpent that if they ate or even touched the fruit in the center of the garden, that it would hurt them, that they'd die. The serpent responded, you will not die. God knows well that at the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God's. The lie at the root of this is that God was holding something back from Adam and Eve. The lie was that He was depriving them of something that they believed is good. And that lie sparked an action, a desire to grasp at the fruit and disobey what God had commanded. And even though their bodies stayed alive after this, uh, we see that they experienced a type of death and that the love of God and the love for each other sort of drained out of them. They'd now become selfish. Uh, Adam and Eve were experiencing shame. Now shame, it's a difficult thing to, to describe sometimes, but it always ends with hiding. Okay, Adam and Eve, they needed to cover their naked bodies in order to protect themselves from the other person. I know when I'm experiencing shame because I want to hide from other people and protect myself from judgment. Uh, this hiding for some people can be quite literal. We might actually want to hide ourselves from the world. But it also might be a little more figurative. One way that people hide in these days is, is through their social media accounts. All right, they post something on social media to make their lives look wonderful and perfect, uh, far better than it actually is, even though there's some unhappiness and perhaps some dysfunction uh, going on in life. Okay, well, this shame, that's where this story picks up. Adam and Eve, they're hiding in their shame. And as God confronts them, we see a very interesting response. When God calls them out for their disobedience, we see that they respond by blaming other people. All right, Adam blames Eve for his disobedience. And he says it was her fault. And even more interesting and more important, he actually, you may have noticed, he subtly blames God. He said, it was the woman that you put here with me. When God shifts his attention to Eve, she blames the serpent. Neither Adam nor Eve acknowledge their own personal culpability for the situation. 
acting out of shame, acting out of fear of judgment. They blame God. They blame each other. And they blame their enemies. This keeps playing out in history. It's going on today in our own communities and in our own homes. We want something that God forbids. And so we start buying into lies. We buy into the lie that God or some other authority figure is depriving us of something that we think is going to make us happy. We buy into the lie that we will not die, that we will not, that the sin, the disobedience won't hurt us. But the sin, the disobedience, the rebellion, it does hurt us. All right, there are no shortcuts in life. Eventually, our sin, our disobedience, it's going to put us in a situation where we are ashamed and afraid and where our relationships are totally severed. Again, I want to point to social media and posting things that make it seem like life is perfect when we're really unhappy. Okay, when it hits a tipping point and we finally have to admit that our situation's imperfect, that's where the blame starts. We blame our parents. We blame our spouses. We blame our bosses. We blame the government. We blame the media. We even blame the church. And blame doesn't solve the problem. It just makes us more and more isolated. Blame doesn't help anyone move past their sins. What it does, what blame does, is that it enables fear and shame to continue. The only way out, the way that the Lord shows us, is to acknowledge our own fault. It might be a spiritual issue. It might be a moral issue. It might be an addiction of some kind. If we want to move beyond it, we have to take ownership of it and admit that our own actions have put us in this situation and our own ways of thinking. Blaming other people does not help. And as evidence, I'll cite the saints of our church. I've read lots of writings from lots of saints over the years, and I don't see tons of blame being slung around. Criticism? Yeah. And criticism has some negative connotations, but criticism is not bad. But I don't see a lot of blame. What I do see in the writings of the saints is a lot of humility and and a lot of acknowledgement that they were sinners in need of mercy and in need of healing. The saints show us that incredible holiness comes into the world when we admit our own role in the world's problems. Of course, ceasing to blame others, it's something that, uh, you know, maybe Christianity points out, but it's something that even the secular world has adopted and embraced. All right? Uh, Admitting fault is a key component of stopping addictions. A key part of Alcoholics Anonymous is to stop blaming others and to accept responsibility for your own actions. Uh, I also, as sort of, sort of an example, again, I don't know that this person was religious at all, but uh, talk about the case of uh, Ryan Leaf. 
the quarterback for Washington State University. As you know, he's widely known as the biggest draft bust in NFL history. Okay, his life was an embarrassment for many years. He failed miserably in the NFL. He struggled with some substance abuse, and he found himself in prison. Well, today, he's doing very well. And I heard in an interview, uh, uh, the person asked him, the reporter asked him, so what changed for you? How did you go from prison to doing very well? And what he said was, uh, the turning point for him was that he stopped blaming other people for his problems and accepted that he was the reason that he was miserable. Now, does the fact that we see this stuff working outside the church in secular programs like AA or in the lives of people like Ryan Leaf, who, again, I don't know what his religious background is. I, maybe he is a person of faith. Maybe he's not. But does that mean that we really, that we don't need faith in our lives? Well, that might be the way our fallen ways of thinking uh, teach us to process that information. But I look at it this way. All right? Of course, God has been trying to teach us this all along. And because what God reveals doesn't conflict with the other sciences and things like that, uh, these things are going to confirm what God reveals to us. But even though we see this emerge in the secular world, what's really happening is secular sciences, secular studies, they're really catching up to what God has been revealing to us for thousands of years. This story, it's like two pages into the Bible. And the wisdom it contains has helped countless addicts escape their struggles. It helped a train wreck like Ryan Leaf, turn away from a miserable life and do a very good life. So that makes me eager to discover what incredible wisdom lies in all of the other chapters of Scripture. Of course, Jesus also, he reveals to us uh, that we don't have to be afraid of revealing these things about ourselves to God. As we see in the Gospels constantly, Jesus, who was God, who reveals God fully to us, entered in the world not for judgment, but for healing. We don't need to be afraid or ashamed of bringing to Him our fallenness and sharing our real struggles, the source of our real unhappiness, and helping Him reveal, perhaps even further, the places in our lives where we're a bit wounded and in need of healing. That is what is important. That's why the Gospels begin with Jesus urging us to repent, to turn away from our sins and to embrace the way of life that He reveals to us.